This is the Insight is Capital podcast. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual podcasters and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of advisoranalyst.com. This podcast is meant to be for informational purposes only. Nothing discussed in this podcast is intended to be considered as advice. Hello, and welcome to the Insight is Capital podcast. My name is Pierre Daly, Managing Editor of AdvisorAnalyst.com. Our guest is Hubert Marlowe, Founder and Market Economist at Palos Management Incorporated. In the past, he held the position of Chairman and Chief Executive Officer of Marlowe Lemire Securities. He was a governor of the Toronto Stock Exchange, the Montreal Exchange, and the Vancouver Stock Exchange as well as having been Senior Vice President at Nesbitt Thompson and Nesbitt Burns and Senior Executive Vice President at Levesque Bobian Jeffreyon and at Levesque Bobian Incorporated. Without further ado, our guest, Hubert, welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. Wonderful to have you. So, first of all, Hubert, what is your firm? What are you guys hearing from your clients? I think the clients okay, basically know that this whole business about the coronavirus was a an exceptional accident that, of course, had led to some extraordinary measures. And they're basically waiting to see how this all ends. There are evidently always some investors that are more nervous than others. Right. And, and consequently are probably asked more questions or more concern. But generally speaking, our investors are relatively calm and just are awaiting for better times in the hope, okay, that this pandemic ends because they do believe, okay, that at, at the end of the day, there will be a return to some normalcy. It may not be the same as we had before, but close enough that we can all basically live our investment lives and apply investment strategies, okay, that were normally work under normal circumstances. I'm all but certain that it's making for a lot of very interesting conversations. Well, yeah, the conversation actually, more often than not, is really not about which stock to buy or which stock to sell, because they're pretty self-evident as to what you should have owned throughout. You know, you should basically be invested, okay, with what normally is called defensive, uh, also in what is likely to reap the benefits, okay, of being uh, quarantined into your home, and at the same time, uh, be invested in things, okay, that are not that nor- they're not that affected, or at least not tremendously, by, um, by the pandemic and by the lockdown and the shutdown of businesses. For example, we've invested in what everybody else has invested in, high tech and food, and and these things weigh more heavily than they normally do. But now we're starting to change a little bit our strategy where we're basically looking for situations, okay, that are extremely undervalued and nibbling at those particular positions in the hope, okay, that, that we can get some alpha out of it. So we've been, we'd invested in, you know, in gold and um, we basically decreased our energy exposure very significantly. But we kept certain things where we think there is long-term hope uh, that may not necessarily do all that well. So we like copper and we like lithium. Yeah. And um, we like, we like, uh, we like Shopify to take an example. <laughs> we own it. So thank God. Good thing we own it because uh, it basically kept us in the running, let's put it this way. Um, These are all fine and dandy, but they're not necessarily the big, broad things that that we should be concerned ourselves with. I think that there will be a number of changes, okay, of uh, that are macro and not necessarily micro, like the ones I just mentioned, right? Which are likely to basically change the way in which um, we will be investing in the future. So, you know, I think that I think the, if we're good enough, okay, stock picking might be a better way to invest in the future. I also think that okay, there are some situations out there uh, which are extremely um, have deep values, okay. That I mean that they're so depressed, okay, that they're they're um, they really can't get any more depressed than they actually are. And we find this basically in, in non-essential goods, uh, like recreational goods and things of that nature, which uh, could lead to um, to very interesting returns. But beyond that, okay, there are, in my judgment, probably five or six big 
big macro themes that are likely to evolve out of this, one of which I believe we're going to have much more what I call state capitalism and little bit and less liberal capitalism. What I mean by this is that there's going to be significantly more government interference, okay, in in the matter in which business is actually conducted. I mean, in the in normally businesses tries to balance, okay, short term with long term profit objectives. Now they're going to have to take into consideration what are the wishes of government and what are the long term objective of government. I suspect this will will enter the equation quite dramatically. It also basically means, okay, that. Big companies are likely to stay big and become bigger.、Uh, I particularly like companies that are in situations that are in duopolies, oligopolies, monopolies, or also companies that are in monopsonies. Yeah. Okay. By monopsonies, I basically mean、uh, you know a company that has、um, access. Okay. To、um, Have many clients, okay, but they're the only one around,、uh, or they are the only one around that's basically hiring the people in in a particular area or in a particular country. And Amazon is like a, a little bit of an example of a of a monopsony and also a monopoly, almost a, any kind of an oligopoly, also at the same time. Right. But these companies, okay, are going to be、uh, are are going to grow bigger at the expense of the smaller ones. But it's going to fall in that、uh, state capitalism thing, and that's probably a main reason why the, the big companies are actually faring better than the small ones. And you know,、uh, and some of the small ones, some of the small ones are probably going to stay small. So that's one big theme, of course. And the other one, which basically will be a derivative of this state capitalism, is that we're going to have deglobalization, protectionism. Probably more populism also. Right. The populism could take could be as much left as it could be right. It doesn't really matter. Populism is populism in the end. So that you'll give you more of that, and that will fit in with the state capitalism that I'm really talking about. I don't want to give the impression, okay, that we're going to Nazism or whatever like this. But all I'm trying to say is that the the characteristic of liberal. Capitalism will be amended, and the amending of this will be more like state capitalism. I also think that down the road, not now, because it'd be an, an almost an impossibility at this point, because there is an, an abundance of goods around. There will be down the road somewhere the possibility, okay, of having a inflation rate which will probably go above the target rate. Now, when will this happen? Is we're probably three years away from that. It takes a long time for. Monetary stimulus, okay, to translate itself into inflation, it can, it can take an awful long time. But that, to me, is a is a possibility, and it will be, and and it will change things around to some extent, where basically inflationary、um, sensitive investment has not done very well lately. But in the future, they might be doing a hell of a lot better. And I, I think this will come. We're going to start to see some of this probably in 2021. Right. There are many other broad things, you know. Evidently, state capital will bring more scrutiny in the matter in which、um, management actually runs their businesses. You know, like、uh, I think it's going to lead to、uh, a little, whether it's whether we're going to be right or left, okay, in this、um, populism, it's, it's going to lead to things like、uh, possibly we could have wealth tax. We could possibly get higher basic in, basic universal income. Right, and, and and what exactly are the things that you think will give rise? Is it is it for example, is it a matter of you know government then turns around post this period and says、uh, you know look we we have we have borne the brunt of the cost for this economic recovery out of the pandemic and now it's your turn and now we 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 you know we believe that it's that it's、uh, corporate America's turn or corporate world's turn to to repay this debt. I don't think it's going to be basically like that. I don't think that corporation. My judgment: corporate taxes are going to go down as opposed to go up.、Um, wow. This, 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 yeah. It, it's more like wealth. In other words, you're not going. What's the point of taxing? Let's say any company, like、um, say, let's use、uh, why why tax IBM? It'd be much better, okay, to tax the guy who owns IBM.、Uh, yeah, okay, for sure. In other words, you're 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 more likely to to make sure that industry remains extremely efficient and v- as productive as possible. That at at the same time they use the bulk okay of their cash flow to invest in capital expenditure and so on and so forth. But those who basically benefit by being owners of these businesses. 
or of real estate or whatever whatever it is, whatever wealth happens to be, that's what's going to be taxed. I think it's much more likely to take that kind of form. Right. And that wealth tax, okay, will translate and part financing, um, you know, all the things we've done lately, okay, all the stimulus that we basically, which at the end of the day, someone has to pay. You're either going to pay in taxes or you're going to pay in inflation. Probably going to be a combination of both. But at the same time, you may end up in saying, you know what? basic income let's have a basic income across can across the country which basically says if anything ever happens badly or whatever people will always have enough money not to, to buy luxury but they're going to have enough money to go to Loblaws and Metro to buy what they need right. and be able to pay their rent so that's going it's ironic that when Bernie Sanders was talking about how he was going to finance his political ideas, which in included universal health care and universal education for everyone, that, that he was going to do that with some kind of a transactional wealth tax. And this idea from Bernie Sanders could be one that actually takes hold politically is one thing. And then the other thing is, is the universal income idea, which was put forward publicly by Andrew Yang. You know, yeah. th these are these are interesting ideas. What was interesting was that maybe a month after or, you know, a month or two after the Democratic primaries began, these ideas began to take hold. This is a very exciting conversation in terms of getting sort of a view of, of how things might change down the road. Well, it, you know, it's going to be evidently it's it's uh, in the beginning. If you would have asked me this question before the before the pandemic, I would say, we're going towards that. We're going towards that route, but it's going to probably be a 10-year thing. Now, I think we're going to be going on that route, and it's not going to be a 10-year thing. It's going to be probably cut in half, probably going to be a five-year thing. Because, you know, politicians are not stupid. You know, they will hit the hiring when it's hot. Yeah. And right now, if you had a basic income, for sake of example, across the country, you wouldn't have necessarily needed all of these various programs, which are get very red tape, very tedious, very hard to understand. A lot of people basically can probably make claims, but they don't know how to go about it, so on and so forth. But if you're a citizen, okay, you will get a minimum amount of money. And so then at the end of the day, no matter what happens, you're going to be able to survive. Right. I mean, it goes to it goes to the discussion that's been going on for many years, which was like, for example, in Canada, that and correct me if I'm wrong, but 46% of Canadians have $200 in their bank accounts, which means basically they're, they're, they're one paycheck away from a disaster in terms of being yeah. broke. What this pandemic has done is it has revealed that vulnerability in the starkest kind of way that you can do that. Well, you know, there, when, you really, when you really think of it, you know, there is essentially three, four things that are in my judgment are important. One is, uh, is what I would call survival, which really has to do with shelter and food. And then I think health, okay, should be, I, I'm a conservative, I don't sound like one right now, but I, I'm a. I do believe, okay, that healthcare should be for everybody and just not for those who basically can afford right. it. Right. And, and I do also believe, okay, that education should not be just for those who are lucky. Right. It should be broad, as broad as possible. And but which you know it, it is pretty broad today. But you know, but I'd like to make sure that it stays that way, because the only way that a a society can progress is, is whether or not it is knowledgeable or not. And the more knowledgeable it is, the more likely that it's going to be productive. And the more productive it's going to be, the more efficient it's going to be. And the more efficient it's going to be, the more profitable it's going to be. And it brings all kinds of uh, societal benefit if, uh, if an economy is profitable. That is why I'm against corporate taxes. I think it's a very silly tax. Right. It's a stupid tax. It, it hardly collects anything anyway. As a percentage of the total revenue of a government, it's nothing, but it, it synthesizes people, okay, to save and invest as opposed to save and hoard because the return, okay. But if I'm going to make millions and millions of dollars, okay, I don't mind personally to say, well, you know, um, some of that wealth should be maybe uh, taxed to a certain degree so that uh, it will be able to pay for the basic income of everybody. I mean, you explain to me why a corporate executive can make 20,000 times more money, okay, than the guy who is basically working in the cellar. <laughs> I, know. I mean, I mean, it's it's, it's ridiculous, right, right. okay? I, I, I've been there and I've seen it. I've been president of companies and so on. So I've been on board of large companies. They're not only smarter than you and I are. 
I, they're just the same as they're humans. They're people. They're just normal people. And uh, they just happen to maybe worked harder or maybe they were lucky right. or maybe they specialize in something and which turned out to be quite good or whatever. But there's all kinds of reasons for it. And they're probably also smarter. But smarter or more intelligent is a gift of God. So in my in my view is society in my judgment is just a little bit too unequal. But the best way to bring it equal is by making it as efficient as possible. Right. And the best way to making efficient is not taxing people or things, okay, that are productive. I mean, it's much better if I'm very rich and I take my savings and because I want to buy myself, you know, a, a cottage, okay, on the St. Lawrence River so that I can actually look at Whiteface Mountain is one thing. Or should I take that bloody money and basically buy or invest, okay, in a business, okay, that's going to be producing something which the nation as a whole can use. One is wasteful savings, and the other one is productive savings. Right. So if there's no tax on corporation, I'm much more likely to move that money into investing, acknowledging, okay, that my return will not be taxed. Now, and if my value of this goes up from 1,000 to 10,000 to 20,000 to 50,000 to 500,000 to a million to 10 million to 50 million, maybe at 10 million and up, I don't know, some number, okay? I don't know where that number is, but maybe you should pay 1% management fee. Right. Or, you know, or, or half a percent. What the difference does it make if I'm worth a billion and I have to give away $10 million a year out of my wealth, okay? Yeah. It's, it's nothing. People say, well, I give it to charity. Yeah, but charity is not necessarily for the benefit of all people. It's only for the benefit of that charity. Exactly. Yeah, it, you make an interesting point. I, I think I have a feeling, I mean, to be conservative in Canada and to be conservative in the U.S. is two different things. That's you know, sure. I, I think I think I think we have a much better balance on, on life in Canada than than Americans do. I was just going to add just that, you know, it's not hard to see why populism has grown the way it has in the last decade. Of course, I think I think, you know, the global financial crisis gave rise to it because of what you mentioned just a few moments ago, which was about the zombie companies, companies being bailed out that that should have, you know, many, many companies yeah. should have been left to fail. I think that's really that's been what gave rise to populism. It, it's it's yeah. it's you know it's the inequality, of course, that's given rise to populism. It's the free run that appears to have happened. Nobody's ever taken actually any responsibility, and that that I think is really what's pissed off a lot of people, especially. Mm -hmm. And and if you consider forty six percent in Canada, which is which for the great country that we are in terms of our social system, it's surprising that we haven't seen more of that populism north of the border. Yeah, you're seeing it to some degree, but you know, it, but it's certainly not as prevalent. You know, when you're living in big cities like Toronto or Montreal or Vancouver, evidently you don't see it as much. But um, where I where I have my country home, right. which is more evidently much more rural, you see it have a lot more. The idea of, of of populism is much much larger and 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 thriving for that matter. Another big theme too, which I I mentioned state, but like like I don't want to miss out on this one either. I think that there's going to be, and I've been saying this in many of my weekly letters, okay, that there will be a significant increase in what I call personal and corporate savings. I think this is going to happen because people might have realized the fragility of our system, of our economy. And at the end of the day, I believe that people are going to start to save a lot more of their money than they have in the past. The personal saving rate, particularly in Canada, is atrociously low and it has to go up. Okay, and I don't know where it should go, but it would be kind of nice if we could have an 8% personal saving rate. It would improve our balance sheet. It would make uh, the balance sheet of, of households far more healthier and all, and all that sort of stuff. The um, And I see the same thing with corporations. I think that the eras, okay, of uh, buybacks and um, large percentage, okay, of your cash flow being paid in dividends, in my belief, is going to be much more a function of profit than in actually what a payout is. In other words, a company like, I'm not saying BC is going to do this, but I'm going to use BC as an example. Why would not BC say, you know what, I will pay 30% of my profit in dividends, right? as opposed to say, I'm going to be paying, you know, $1.50 to a share. I think there'll be a there'll be there'll be a lot of that sort of stuff that's going to go on in my judgment that will bring a conscientiousness towards higher savings. So 
that'll have a significant repercussion on many things. It's going to change the consumption function, the, the composition, the consumption, the evidently of a consumer expenditure is going to change. Right. It's also going to change, okay, the matter in which corporation actually spend uh, on their monies, okay, on capital investment. You've already seen trends where a corporation is spending more and more money on R&D, on software, on application of um, where they use, okay, uh, artificial intelligence and that sort of stuff. You're going to see a lot more of that and far less physical uh, type of capital expenditure. It's physical still represent the largest part, but that's going to, in my judgment, this is going to decrease quite significantly. And this is particularly true if we are right, okay, in the belief that there's going to be deglobalization. If deglobalization comes in, and of course that's going to end up in a disruption of supply chain. Now, given that it costs a hell of a lot more money to hire labor, say in North America, than it does in China or India or whatever, mm -hmm. this there will be a significant amount of money are going to go into software, and of course the the, company, the industry that's going to benefit from this are going to be the high tech software sure. type businesses. And of course, and Canada is lucky; we have a lot of good software company, open tech yeah. and, and a bunch of others. I mean, they're all in many ways, the Shopify is one of the places is a little bit like that. Right. It's the application. Okay. Of, um, of art, artificial intelligence. And this is going to be to me a big deal. Evidently there's going to be a lot of money. They're going to pour into health services, but that's almost evident. It's too evident to even talk about it. <laughs> uh, it's like saying, when I'm going to get up in the morning, I'll be breathing. Of course I will. <laughs> you know. Uh, look at a company like Tesla, for example. This is not a company that is building cars with thousands and thousands of assembly line work. These vehicles are being built by robotic yeah. assembly. And, and really, it's the robots just need supervision. It's no wonder that companies like Tesla are fetching so much confidence and so much valuation premium compared to what it's actually producing. And I think that that goes to, you mentioned open text and you mentioned Shopify. Online is getting a premium. And it's just surprising even to see companies like Zoom, which is questionable now, but, you know, fetching a, a market capitalization of $40 billion, which is, which is, you know, in excess of most of the uh, large automotive companies' market capitalizations. Yeah. This also brings me to another thing. This uh, evidently, I, I will consider Zoom okay, as part of the software area where efficiencies can be used and so on yeah. and so forth. I mean, my family office, okay, we own several businesses. Right. Okay, and uh, we're not realizing okay, that a lot of the things that we always thought had to be physically there all the time could actually be do, done elsewhere so we use a lot of cisco's uh WebEx, which is very good by the way and there's another thing too that state capital there's another thing too which i mentioned that state capitalism is going to bring to the extent that it's going to bring protection and so on and so forth and this is going to be strategic material i don't think that in the future we're going to allow uh, as easily as we have in the past to have strategic material not uh, in close range and by by strategic material you know i mean things like copper and uh, moly right. uh, scandium uh, you know niobium not all the not all okay the materials okay are, are considered strategic but these um, there are many others that by the way that in the ones i just mentioned but there will be a movement okay to keep these things closer to home in the eventuality that there could be some problem because there's a very there's a very strong possibility we could end up maybe not in a pure military uh, conflict but in some kind of a war that may not be military, but a war that will be um, that would be trade barriers right, right. and so on and so forth. So you you'll want these things to be close to home much more than it have in the past. And also, the state capital is going to create another thing too. It's the ownership of businesses. There's going to be a lot of emphasis that businesses okay that are, say, in Canada or the United States or England or whatever, and that they they not be as easily sold to foreigners as it has been in the right. past. In other words, I have a, I would have a hard time believing that company like Magna, for sake of example, could easily be sold, okay, to a foreigner. It's not to say that you know that 
are major or major Canadian companies that they would not invest abroad. That's not what I'm. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. They they will continue to do it to the extent that it did that it makes sense and it and it's you know and it's profitable and the rest of it. But what I'm really trying to say is that there will be I think ownership of what is. American or what is Canadian、mm-hmm. is going to become important. They're going to. It's not going to be that easy for a foreigner to come and buy, okay, our jewels. Right. Like, Canada is a very good example. We give away. We, we have we have given away yeah we have given away our the best of everything we've ever created yeah yeah we gave away nickel we gave away well, no, that's not just it I I think you know what what surprised me the most Canada has been the the home of of some very significant ev- inventions、yeah. the charged the charged、yeah. couple device that goes into you know every camera technologies that gave birth to mobile telecom. All of, all of these inventions were born in Canada and sold away because you know we couldn't raise the capital. But there's an easy solution to this,、mm-hmm. Pierre.、And、the easy solution is is that if we we need to create incentives in Canada, more and we have some now, evidently, but much more to get this personal savings、yep. up and to get corporate taxation down and other taxation, okay, that are related, okay, to、uh, that basically hurts private savings, whether it be corporate or personal. So that we can have the monies, the capital, to be able to keep our businesses in Canada, and also to create new ones. The, the, the main reason that we have a, a huge, we have a, we have a dependency on foreign capital, okay, which of course comes from the fact, okay, that we always have a balance of trade that's deficit, but most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, and、uh, so we basically get this foreign capital in, and that foreign capital. Does not only want to buy Governor Canada、right. bonds, municipal bonds, okay, issued okay by the city of Vancouver or by the city of Toronto or the city of Montreal. That foreign capital would be easily not. We would not depend on this, okay, if we our personal saving was higher and our corporate taxes were lower, because we could provide the capital necessary to keep our stuff here. We we have to sell because at the end of the day we can't make the balance of the economy. We cannot. The economy cannot balance itself、right. if we don't. Of course, a lot of it is also the fact that you know we have too much entitlement, and, and, and you know our welfare system、right. is way, way too expensive, way too expensive. We all, you know, but parallel to what we were just talking about with regards to you know Canada or Canadians, Canadian companies selling away all the jewels to foreign interests. We've kind of seen the beginning of what you're talking about, which is deglobalization,、um, or or the、uh, the growth of of the idea of deglobalization, sort of has become evident in in situations like the the Huawei、uh, situation, right, with the CEO, the daughter、yeah. of the CEO of Huawei being arrested in Vancouver, you know, at the behest of the U.S. government. And then the whole controversy of you know Huawei being charged with with trading with the enemy countries. Uh, like Iran, and and then the the blockade of of Huawei、yeah. from accessing technologies that were that are now owned by, for example, SoftBank, which owns ARM Holdings,、yeah. which is the chip designer for almost everything in the world. And when you see that kind of blockade, that's really the beginnings, and that that's that's forcing、uh, Huawei full to to resort to its own chip designs, and and that's really that's really、yeah. the first. I mean, ARM is a British company, but SoftBank was able to completely buy out the company, which is British, out from under、yeah. Western interests. So, so when you when you、yeah. see that kind of thing happen, and something so strategic as as、uh, ARM, as 5G,、um, you know, there's been obviously there's been a big push too from companies like T-Mobile. To to promote the fact that they have already established a 5G network, those kinds of、uh, examples of technologies that will really you know be a big part of our future and our future development and productivity. Couple that with also now, you know, strategic metals, for example, which are which are used in technology, which are used in defense technology. I, I've often wondered why are we so good at at, at trading away our best assets? What's surprising is is what it has taken in order to begin to expose these vulnerabilities that that existed. The pandemic has has really exposed the vulnerability of the the labor class, and and so when when you see you know like that you know in a week of of legislation, a week of you know the law coming down in terms of shutting down the economy, the the millions of of、uh, of people, the tens of millions of people who have. 
being suddenly put out of work and, and, and being shown really how vulnerable they are, I can see where that gives rise to the savings rate. Like, and, 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 and ultimately invest, it makes a lot of sense. You know, the outlook that, that, you've, that you've shared so far, it makes a lot of sense to imagine that the savings rate in this country will go up. And then along with that savings rate, the confidence in the savings and then and then thus the confidence in investing across the board but you know that doesn't mean everybody's going to suddenly become investors but people will feel less vulnerable but it it, it doesn't matter because if i'm saving and not investing for example but it will go into the it's going to the saving is going to go in the bank and the bank now has a deposit the deposit it creates a reserve of the central bank and you can then you use that reserve to make a loan (laughs) so you know at the end of the day it all you know whether you you you're the one that does it directly or you or you're the or you're the person who allowed it in, indirectly it doesn't make much difference as long as it's happening at the end of the day i it, you know there might there are in my view okay it falls down to central in my judgment anyway the four big things you know technology which means like the robotics and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Software, okay, which essentially means uh, in, you know artificial intelligence, all that kind of stuff that falls in, under that category. And then strategic material, okay, and of course the the application of inter- internet, which I will call it. They call it the internet of right. things, or the internet and that's where that's where the that's where five G comes in. Yeah, is, yeah, that's where five G comes in exactly. So you basically these are the to me the big right. themes. That is that is going to be derived from state capitalism, higher savings rate, and deglobalization. And the, it's yeah. going to lead into that because so the big the big themes, okay, or the big the big macro stuff is going to feed all those micro stuff, and then they'll then they'll go to the mini micro, which is going to be the selection of companies in each one of those high categories. My sometimes it's good to you know they, there's a there's a saying, okay, that each time that has been a plague or a pandemic or some sort of uh, mm-hmm. epidemic, okay, that the, uh, the world soon after turns much better. I mean, I've seen, I, I don't remember which, where I've read this. I did read this in some of the editorial pages of some of the, you know, right. top newspapers. Um, I, I never wrote about this because I didn't think anybody would be really interested. <laughs> <laughs> but... <laughs> But um, but the fact is is that there is some evidence of that because it, the coronavirus situation is making us think twice about uh, many certainly things. right at the core. I mean our core right. values. Right. Because at the end of the day, it's we're all, we're just humans reacting to. Um, I like to use always uh, talk about. Um, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people read this book. It says uh, there is a um, philosopher by the name of uh, Noah Yari. Okay. And he's uh, he's uh, as smart as you can get. Probably the best, well, in my judgment, the number one philosopher out there today. And he's also an historian. He also has a, a deep knowledge, okay, of uh, high tech. And he basically says, you know, in this world, there is no laws in this universe. There's no law. There's no God. There is no, there is no, uh, no nothing. Mm-hmm. Okay. But one thing it has is imagination. And with that imagination, man can basically solve just about anything and create just about anything as long as it has the means to do it. And the means actually comes from savings and education. Right. It's very that's, simple. It's a very simple, I mean, it's a very simple well, philosophy. The more simple, the more reliable it is. Reminds me of Warren Buffett's that, you know, it's, it's when the tide goes out that you see who's not wearing any pants. That's right. Uh, you know, if anything, this this pandemic has revealed a lot of the places where there have been significant vulnerabilities. It has highlighted so much and it has brought so much to bear for everybody to contemplate while while we're isolated. Yeah. Well, you know, I uh, there's um, I belong to a club which is called the Phoenix Club. So later I'm I happen to be the chairman of this okay. club. We're about, I don't know, I think we're 25 members. Most of the members are essentially successful businessmen and former um, money managers of, of the major major funds in Canada. And of course, we meet uh, every week. Right now, we're meeting through through the uh, use of, uh, of uh, Cisco's uh, WebEx. Mm-hmm. And um, it's kind of interesting because while you would think that people who are basically want to talk about specific investments, at the end of the day, the conversation always ends up on the big stuff. And the reason is, is because they're trying to find maybe solace 
in the hope, okay, that uh, the big stuff can get resolved so that we can get to the small stuff because it's with the small stuff that we make money. Right. <laughs> so, That's interesting. But, and then there were 25 guys, okay, and a lot of them you would, and they're well, all these guys are all well known. I mean, every, every, they've been around for a long time. It's interesting to see how the group it wants to talk almost all about the same thing. What are some of the big things that, that you're talking about? Well, they're, they're definitely interested in the small stuff too. I mean, they all, at the end of the day, you know, they will ask, you know, should I buy Boardwalk or should I buy right. Bombi or should I sell BCE or whatever? At the end of the day, it's an investment club, but it's an investment club, which is much more of a social club than an investment club. But we do have a portfolio and, you know, we invest. But the idea, they ask broad questions like, you know, supply chain, national security, relationship between China, U.S. and, you know, uh, that sort of stuff. Right. Because if there's going to be a disruption of major proportions, say, between the United States and China, what is that going to do? It's going to create a lot of stuff. I mean, how does Apple fit in there? Yeah, exactly. And how, how some, of the, some of the suppliers, okay, who are completely dependent on goods that come from China, or parts that comes from China. How is that going to work? And uh, how will disruption of, or a catastrophe between these two nations, what is it going to mean to international trade? Are we going to have, are we going back, okay, to what we had before, two blocks? One block run by China, one block run by the United States. And uh, how will that, will that, will be, would these two blocks be the right. same as it was in the past? Uh, it was easy to deal with Russia because they were poor, but the Chinese economy is not a poor economy anymore. It's a it rich is. one and it has resources and capabilities and so on and so forth. You're not fighting something as easy as Russia was. The only reason why we never, we never really fought Russia is because that nuclear weapons. Right. If they wouldn't have had nuclear weapons, it would have been the, the Cold War would have ended much faster. The the China question is certainly a big question to contemplate. I think. Well, you know, may, maybe you know, but then maybe no, not. Yeah, exactly. It's it's easy to say that, okay, but um, not as simple as it may appear. Who knows where um, the Middle East is going to end up being friendly with? I mean, the Middle East sells their oil, okay, to China and to India and to Japan, who says, okay, that uh, Western Europe or Eastern Europe is going to remain friendly, okay, with, with the United States. Maybe maybe Russia will create a gas pipeline in which the Europeans are going to be dependent on. The geopolitical is going to be extremely yeah, complex. That already happened, didn't it? I mean, that already happened with Gazprom, right? Exactly. And uh, this is not a simple thing. In fact, it's quite But I think there's going to be, there's probably also going to be quite a fair bit of public unrest about, you know... The only the, the only thing at the end of the day is going, to keep, is going to keep people somewhat sane is the fact, okay, that the stock market has not reacted maybe the way that a lot of people thought right. it would react. But, you know, to me, most people misread this. They basically look at this uh, pandemic as being a cause, okay, by men, like the depression was caused by men or the great financial crisis was caused by men and many other recessions were caused okay by bad policy mistakes and whatever your case might right. be this comes out of left field and um, uh, and I, I I've seen a lot of people who have been extremely pessimistic and have made some very stupid mistakes it's as if you know you're saying well you know 2020 is a write-off okay it's it's a lost year 2021 is gonna bring back okay us to 2019 and then from 2022 Okay, it's going to be the brave new world, <laughs> and the brave new world right. is about these all these big macro things that we're talking about. Because in nine in twenty twenty, we're going to be awfully too busy to restore the economy to its natural health. Okay, than to worry about the big macro stuff. The big macro stuff is going to come in twenty twenty two. No matter who president of the United States comes November, whether it's Trump or Biden, um, it it will be about restoring the health of the economy back to where it was in 2019. Right. And these broad things we're talking about, while important, they're not going to be the big themes. They'll be the big themes in 2022. Because then, I, I, this is all, so the stock market is not that stupid. It's like saying that you went into a coma, I'm gonna wake up, and when I wake up, okay, in, in 2021, I'm going to be able to see the light. And don't forget one thing. The way I view yeah. it, what you're going to be getting as a, as a, as a, um, it's going to be a square root, a fast, 
you know, down. Like, remember the square root, the sign? So down. The sign. It's going to go up. I don't know. Yeah. It's going to maybe take a little U up or maybe it'll be fast. It doesn't really matter. But there will be a, but it will not, if you remember a square root, it does not go up as much in degree as the as the first part of the of the of the shape and then you're going to have a curve you're going to have a, right. a straight line that's going to have a very low tangent a tangent that probably will reflect you know a couple of percentage in growth and that's it and why because right. the economy is going to be working at maybe 85 capacity 80% capacity but it also means that if you're working 80% capacity there's no recession in sight in sight because that means there's no being no recession that means the economy will probably be able to grow albeit at a slow pace but at 2% for the next 10 years to eat up that extra capacity that it's not being used. So the stock market is not that stupid. A lot of people have a hard time catching this, but I think what the stock market is is catching that. Then then you're going to have another guy who's going to come out and say, well, you know, the bond market doesn't really think this way. Well, no, that's not true because the bond market, okay, is a function of the gross natural product and the term premium and the rate of inflation. Right. So you got to put those three factors in. Now, quite evidently, the stimulus, the monetary stimulus that is being applied by the various central banks has basically destroyed the term premium. There's no term premium in bonds today. So, so let's assume that term premium is usually, I don't know, it's probably around $1.20. And right. you uh, let's assume, okay, that my, my, the economy that I'm talking about is going to grow, say, at 2%. That usually that's good for about usually the economy is 60% of that. And I'd say the inflation, because there's such big abundance, may only grow at one. It takes 60% of that, that's 40. So all of a sudden, you take, you're down to, a, you're around 180. That's where it should be. But then that premium is gone. So you're at 60 basis point in yield. And that's exactly where we are. Right. So you think that the, you think that the bond market is telegraphing <laughs> yeah, they're, they're this telegraphing already, it. what you're talking and about. And people think they're telegraphing a recession. They're not, because you've got to put that term premium right. back back in we just basically camouflaged it <clears throat> we basically took we, we put we put the, yeah, the term the, premium in a in a box yeah the old the old basis the old basis for these calculations it's right it, it's adjusted and and oh, what it, we're left with is yeah and three really years, the adjusted yeah, look but in three four years so that from makes now, sense it's going to start to change because then you're going to be in, in 2023, 2020. Then you, then all this monetary stimulus, all this uh, abundance of supply, whether it be oil or uh, like we've had, you know, uh, you know, so on and so forth, is going to be sat. Okay, and then, but that stim that 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 stimulus, that all that money, which is all that uh, that uh, monetary base that we have out there, is still going to be out there. It's, it's not going to disappear overnight. That's going to start to have an impact. It, it happened before. I mean, yeah. the the main reason why the 60s turned out to be inflationary is really because of the monetary impact that you've had and the fiscal deficit that you had towards the end of the war, and in which lasted up until about 1949, so on and so forth. And it, but it took right. it took five six years to um, to turn to same you know nothing it just doesn't disappear. it doesn't disappear to, it just yeah, takes to time to that's right to uh, surface that's right yeah but so it's out there it's like a giant got, submarine you know, all of a sudden uh, crude oil is going up like crazy today wow <laughs> I, yeah that's that's something you know like <laughs> it's going up forty it, it, it's, it, it, I think crude oil went up I'm not too sure if that's right here but I I think it went up forty percent. It's insane. That's insane. Just when you look at, well, it, 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 at the dislocations that have that, happened uh, in the market. That, that it's not normal. We're, we're not, it, nothing is normal right now. And that's what I want to ask you now with, with like, when you look at the behavior of the equity markets, what's happening is reasonable or is there just a lot of technical well, stuff going on? Well, there's a lot of technical on? stuff going on and the algorithms are actually creating. It's kind of funny that when you, if the stock market is down a lot, you ever notice that the futures at the end of the day are up? And if the stock market is, is up a lot, the futures are down in the in the aftermarket and so on and so forth. It's as if, you know, uh, it right. gets adjusted. Um, my view is that I'm, based on what I said earlier, 2020 is a write-off. 2021 is going to be, bring it back to what, to what it was in 2019, I think the stock market is stuck in a trading range. And that trading range, right. in my view, is like something like 2,500 to 3,000, something like that, something of that nature. It's in there. I mean, I'm not going to argue what it maybe it's 2,550 and maybe it's there 3,050. Okay, but it's something like that. <laughs> yeah. And it's going to trade in there. But inside of that, okay, there's going to be 
a lot of opportunities. There's going to be sure. There's going to be a lot of volatility, volatility isn't there? Is one thing that's what the algorithms are basically, you know, working with. But the, inside the, the the market, there will be people will be able to recalibrate their portfolio. There's going to be ideas of relative strength. There's going to be movements, okay, from what seems to be expensive to less expensive. There's good. There, there are inside of that range, literally um, hundreds upon hundreds of trading opportunities, opportunistic trade, pair trades, you name it, okay, that could um, could make it very profitable uh, for someone who is uh, willing to spend the time to to uh, to do it, which is really the job, okay, of, right. of portfolio managers to do that. But and 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 so, and I'm sure many are doing that, okay. We're doing it, and if we're doing it, I'm sure many others are doing it too. And probably they might be doing it as good or better than we do. I don't know, but it doesn't really matter. The point is that that's what's happening. And when you look at it, uh, I, I use um, um, models. I all my my predictions that I make, or predictions of my views on things, I should say. My predictions are, you know, I could be as right, right. as they could be wrong. But they're based essentially all on mathematics. I, I don't use, um, so I, you know, like for example, I will use uh, equity risk premium versus volatility. I mean, I do all kinds of uh, neat little tricks. And those neat little, and I look at right. this historically, and when I do this, I find that this is the range. Right. So, and it kind of makes sense because I said, well, if it that's the range why is why is the market thinking that way well when you think of it it's thinking that way maybe because of what i said earlier 2020 is a write-off 2021 it's a recuperation 2022 is when the world gets back to a more normal world to the kind of world that we've been right. we've been used to but with different characteristics than we had before and the characteristic being the ones that we mentioned earlier so are you saying that the market is looking forward yeah, to 2022 yeah and if it goes down someone will buy it i will because i i know that er, i already know that earnings are going to be bad it doesn't take much of a genius to figure that one out i know that that's it's pretty off that's the you know, that's the it, obvious it, so it's, it lives on expectation doesn't live on what was yesterday. Yeah. So the expectation is is that you know what we had we're getting we're in a bad time. We're going to recuperate, okay? Because we'll find solution to this pandemic. And then in 2022, people were going to start to feel more comfortable. Uh, they're going to be more assured of themselves and all the rest of it. And the, mar the, the the economy is going to start running at a more normal pace and the market is going to start reflecting it. Meanwhile, some of the big themes we talk about are going to be going to start to be implemented, like saving rate is going to go up, corporate tax is going to go down, right. wealth tax might be introduced. This uh, basic income is going to probably be in, in, in introduced. Universal health is probably going to be coming in into the United States. You're going to have you also going to have more more movement. Okay, of disruption of the supply chain will bring lots of software, lots lots of efficiency type of investments. Okay, done by corporation that sort of stuff. You're going to see all these things, and then you know, and but you as a an investor, you have to look at 2022 and say. Well, in 2022, when all this stuff is over, what's going to be great? What's going to be the things, okay, yeah. that's going to be interesting? What is going to be the big macro themes? And what's and which industry is going to profit from those big macro themes? And which micro and which companies are going to profit, okay, from these micro elements that composes, okay, the my, the the big macro thing? I mean, what you're saying certainly explains the behavior of certain stocks and certain sectors yeah. are really plowing forward. And, yeah. and and upward because the outlook for yeah. 22 is so positively charged in their favor. Like if you're talking about, you know, these stocks, the, yeah. the winners of the future because of where we are today, that, that certainly goes a long way to explaining the behavior of the market. Do you believe, I mean, you've, you've already said 2020 yeah. is a write-off. And do you believe that the worst case scenario has been factored in by the yes. market? There's never been... There's never been, as far as I know, never been a bear market, okay, or a bear market that's lasting when the monetary policy is easy. I'm not aware of any. Right. Now, a lot of people will say, oh, well, it, the monetary policy doesn't have the same strike as before. Well, you know, it's like saying, you know, um, maybe, maybe I may not have the same strength as I did 50 years ago. I'm only half as strong as I used to be. So all I have to do is put two of me together. Then I'm as strong as I was 50 years ago. So... 
the monetary policy, <laughs> what they do now is that rather than just doing a tiny bit, they do twice as much or three times as much bit than they used to, which has, in the end of the day, had the same effect. The proportions are just changed given the, the complexity of the economy. You got to be more aggressive maybe in an economy which is uh, a U.S. economy which is running at around $22 trillion than when it's running at $2 trillion. There's a lot more interconnections, a lot more nodes, okay, and a lot more um, complexities and all the rest of it. And it's $22 trillion economy than a $2 trillion one. So consequently, uh, your monetary policy needs to have much more imagination. You know what I'm getting at. I think initially there really was no nobody knew you know what was going to come next before before the uh, the Fed and and the government you know the U.S. government stepped in and, and in Canada of course you know the the similar action from the Bank of Canada and and uh, our our governments federal and provincial. I don't think anybody knew that those would be the measures that they would take on this sort of triage-like basis where every day new things are being introduced. It has reintroduced an element of of confidence back into the market. It goes a long way to explaining the optimism that we're seeing in the equity market. No, but 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 writing off 2020 as yeah. a, a zero net yeah, earnings because year, it, that's already in, in being done. In the judgment of the, of the market, the year 2020 is not, is like, um, as I said before, you went into a coma. It's, it's, it's not gonna stop Whatever growth rate, say, that Cisco had, okay, he will resume that growth rate from 2021 base, okay, from the recovery, okay, that's going to happen in 2021. Yeah. And it was, let's assume, I don't know exactly what the growth rate, okay, of earnings, okay, for Cisco was, but let's assume it was 5% per year to say a number. I don't even know if it's 5%. Don't quote me too much on that. But then it will reflect that 5%. In other words, it's basically yeah. saying, no, the market should be at 3,300. That was the high. The market is now, I don't know where it went today. I, I just don't remember, but I, you know, whatever it is, let's have a quick look just for the hell of it. The market, okay, uh, the indices, the S&P 500 is 2,800, okay? So, and the, and the low, if I don't yeah. remember, was 20. I think it was 2,300 and some, but let's say it was 2,400 to sake of argument. So if the market's saying, I'm in the middle here or pretty close and in, in that range because I talked about earlier, it's in there and I'm gonna stay in here, okay, towards all of 2020, most of 20, good chunk of 2021. And when I'm gonna start to believe that my square root starts to have the, uh, the, the, the left side of that square root starts to have a little tangent up, I'm gonna start to price um, my um, my uh, my Cisco, if you'd like, or the S&P, okay? And I'm gonna go towards, okay, that 3,300 where it was. That 3,300 is gonna happen yeah. sometime in 2021. I don't know when, June, maybe, maybe September, I don't, something like that whichever it doesn't really matter what day it is yeah. it's not a it's not a question yeah. of if it's strictly that's a question the way of when i am yeah that's the way i'm positioned um, and it, it would appear that um that it, it when you think of it, it's not that silly of a scenario i think that you've really brought together some very salient thoughts and ideas and you, you brought it all together into a really really nice uh package i'm <laughs> excited now for time, our future then, conversations this being the first one i can <laughs> assure you that next time I'll be more prepared. I was, I didn't even prepare for this. I just, it was really off the cuff. <laughs> I think I, I feel, I feel like yeah, it's almost it probably is, yeah. better that way because, because I know, I know, I, you know, my imagination tells me that, that, that this is something you've done your whole life and you walk around with these thoughts. They're all yeah. right there at the tip of your tongue. And it's almost better to not be prepared because sometimes, sometimes you do oh, yeah. your best it, thinking it, out it, loud it, too, it comes right? out more naturally. So Hubert, I want to, uh, I want to thank you so, so very much. This has been, this has been, been a very productive and a very informative conversation. You're very welcome. I hope to have many, many more like it. It's been very, it's been, it's been very exciting well, to talk pleasure, to you today. Man. Thank you so much.